This morning we're back in 1 John, and today, chapter 2, 9 through 11, and I've entitled this Discerning Light from Darkness, but included in this sermon is some important things about Christian fellowship and what it means to walk in the light. Let's read the text. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for revealing truth to us about the gospel. Thank you for bringing spiritual light into our lives through Jesus Christ. And may we listen when you're telling us how important Christian fellowship is. We ask you to help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to 1 John 2, 9. The one who says he is in light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. If you wonder why the emphasis about relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ within the church, you might think about what we're going to come to later in 1 John, where it says they went out from us because they were not really of us. So the false teachers who claimed to be in light but weren't made nothing but trouble for the church and then left. And John's diagnosis is they weren't really of us, meaning they really were walking in darkness. Later in this sermon, we're going to look at a little story. I don't know how much of it we'll have time for, but about the healing of a blind man in John 9. One of the amazing stories in the whole Bible. So in John, when he says, the one who says, I've told you this before, this is John's way of identifying the false teachers, the claims that are not right the claims that he disagrees with. We see, for example, in 1 John 1, 6, 1, 8, and 1, 10, if we say, that if we say means there really are people saying that, don't listen to them. And then in 1 John 2, 4, 6, and 9, the one who says, the same idea. The Gnostics, for example, I'm not saying that I know the opponents were Gnostics in a technical sense, but they were certainly a problem in the early centuries. They claimed to be enlightened, but they were actually in darkness. False teachers rejected fellowship that existed among followers of the gospel. They were in darkness. It says in 
Luke 11:23. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Just think about it. If you've read the Gospels, you've read the stories about Jesus and his ministry, the people he healed. How about in Luke, about the woman who wept on his feet and her sins were forgiven. And many other stories. We'll look at the one in John 9, healed blind man. Imagine if Jesus came, forgave somebody's sins, healed their physical maladies, and they had this profound experience, cleansed the leper, and then the person said, nah, I don't need any of this fellowship. I'm happy with what I got. I don't want to follow Jesus, because if I do that, I'll have to run into his followers, and I don't want anything to do with them. And that would be very bad. So that's why Jesus said, you're scattering if you don't gather with me. You come with me. There were incidents in the Gospel of John where people were miraculously fed. And they got into a dispute about Christ's flesh and blood. And they all got disgusted and left. And a handful of disciples that are still there... His closest ones, he said, are you going to leave too? Where should we go? You have the words of life. My dear friends, if we're Christians, we must know that Jesus has the words of life. And that the only reason we're not in utter darkness is that Jesus opened our eyes to the light. And John is saying, therefore, we will want to be with Others who are like that. The internet has opened up all new possibilities to reject all other Christians. Oh, yes. There was a fellow who used to be very vocal on the internet, but it's been years, but I thought, this guy, what's the deal? Why he doesn't want anything to do with anybody? Well, he eventually disappeared, but you know, I remember when I came to Christ, I was a bad case. I was hostile and angry against Christians. And I was spouting off to the guys at work. There were only three three other guys. It was midnight shift. And when I got saved, I came back there knowing Christ. Every one of them knew something changed. They were afraid to ask what. Until the end of the day, I told them I met Christ. Within a week, I was in a little Pentecostal church that had brought the gospel to Diane and her family. And even though those guys I worked with would have way more in common with me by nature than these little old Pentecostals, as soon as I walked into the light, I went into that little church and I was home because I'm a different person than I was two weeks ago. And they received me. They received me into fellowship. And they cared about me. And they prayed for me. That's what Christian fellowship is. We know the Lord. We have fellowship with one another. We look out for one another. We care for one another. We pray for one another. And it's very important. John 
is dealing with people who say, yeah, I'm enlightened spiritually. I just don't want anything to do with Christianity or Christians. Christians are loved by Christ and commanded to love one another. To reject Christian fellowship is considered hate. The world hates Christians. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know it has hated me before it hated you. And the world does hate us. Our ideas are offensive to them. So we, all the more we need one another. So we have here the contrast between light and darkness. We're not offering false claims. We're offering the truth of the gospel. And darkness is antithetical to the Christian life that God's given us. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. Light is an attribute of Christ. God is the one who spoke in creation and said, let there be light. Throughout the Bible, light is used as a reference to God's truth, his holiness, and his divine nature. In John 8, 12, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Abiding in light means faithfulness to God and love for others in the body of Christ. Abiding is important. Abides, meno in the Greek, stay put. This is here. This is now, this is from God, and I'm staying put with the Christian gospel. We will have light if we do that. John associates light with truth and love. It says in John 3.21, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So we need to walk in the light. And then it says, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. We're stumbling scandal on, where we get our word scandal. And it denoted a trigger of a trap, or as I'm saying here, enticement to ruin, an offense. And we know that Offenses will come, but the Bible says that woe to the ones through whom they come. That's in Luke 17, 1. Jesus said it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. Consider with me 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 
You see, the world will talk about Christ or the Christ or a Christ or Christ consciousness or the Christ spirit or some kind of a universal Christ, but they won't accept Christ crucified. And that's what we preach. This isn't for a lack of being able to comprehend the concept. They don't like the idea that a Jewish Messiah who was crucified is the only way salvation. So when we come to Christ and we love the brothers and the cross means everything to us, then we're not going to offend other Christians. Oh, there's times you can't help it. Somebody's going to be offended because they got some kind of problem. But for any Christian, the message of the cross should bring joy when it's heard. The gospel's been so watered down in the last hundred and some years that when you do hear somebody preaching the truth of the cross in a biblical way, I don't know about you, but I rejoice. Listen to that, the real gospel. How great. You turn on a TV preacher. Oh, something else. The cross is a scandal. The cross was the place where the most despised, the worst of the worst went. So here is the only sinless person in the history of the universe, fully human and fully God, Jesus Christ, who deserved no punishment, who was crucified like a common criminal. And we have to believe that to be saved. Oh, yes. So I want you to understand what John's saying. That's what it looks like to walk in the light, to believe in the crucified Messiah. And the only real fellowship we have is with others who believe that. Oh, if it was preached in every pulpit in America, which is not, can you imagine the impact that would have? How many people would be converted? Church would be something totally different. Since the cross is necessary, that's enough. That's enough. We have to have the cross. And it's offensive. And it's necessary. And because of that, we don't need to add offenses by coming up with our own goofy stuff, making ourselves human lawgivers beyond God, or making some requirement that the Bible doesn't make and offending people with that. The cross is all the offense we'll ever need. But we must embrace it. When John 2, 11, A, but the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. Hate towards fellow believers is a symptom of spiritual blindness. Now, this doesn't mean, by the way, every time you're accused of being a hater, you are. 
Do you realize that, especially now we have an election year going on, there are a lot of people out there that label anybody who doesn't agree with their own ideas hater. You're a hater. I think men should use the men's room and ladies should use the ladies' room. <laughs> Takes a lot of education to come up with that. <laughs> oh, you're a hater. <laughs> really? I'm a hater? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the others who have embraced the cross and who love Jesus Christ. There are sisters, there are brothers. We care about them, we guard them, we protect them, we pray for them. And our lives are intertwined in some real ways. In eternity, that's who we'll be with for all eternity. So we can't hate fellow believers. The word walk, peripateo, means a manner of life. A manner of life that shows that light has shined into our darkened souls and we're different than we would have been. It says in John three nineteen, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. Think about Paul or Saul of Tarsus at his conversion. It's amazing. Nobody could have been more full of darkness. He was spewing hatred for the disciples of the Lord, arresting them, having them thrown in prison. When they're killed, saying, yes, kill them, these evil Christians. And then he sees Jesus supernaturally. Who art thou? I'm Jesus whom you persecute. Jesus says, if you persecute my people, you're persecuting me. And if you want to see a life that was full of darkness and suddenly became full of light, read in Acts about the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Really, all conversions are like that. Those who reject the fellowship, those committed to Christ and the teachings of his apostles are in spiritual darkness. Then it says, and does not know where he's going because darkness has blinded his eyes. The blinded stagger around, disoriented. Notice this is the darkness has blinded. And you can't see where you're going. The word darkness, scotia, is used three times in verse 11. When I was reading this, I was thinking about the staggering around of the blinded when the Sodomites were after Lot. Remember that? And they were suddenly blinded. Okay, there were the angels, and they were... And, and this is in Genesis 19:11. Let me read it. They struck the men, the angels, who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find a doorway. They were in so much darkness that rather than 
okay, now I'm blind. I got a, a problem here. I still want in. My own lust is so great that I'm not deterred, staggering around blind. It says that those who hate the Christian fellowship are walking blindly in the dark. And when we grope, we stumble. When we believe the truth and when we believe in Jesus Christ, we have clear guidance. If we're in darkness, we have a spirituality of our own making, we grope around blindly. Let me give you four implications and applications. Number one, walking in the light is a key description of the Christian. Number two, the world hates Christ and his followers. So we must not hate fellow Christians. Number three, spiritual blindness comes to those who harden their hearts against the truth. Number That was three. Number four, believe in Christ and enter the light. Back to a little review here. We're going to have reviews and previews as we go through 1 John, because that's how John writes, both from his gospel and from earlier in his epistle. Verse 7, 1 John 1. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. This is a description, a powerful description, a beautiful description of what the Christian life looks like. Walking in light, meaning not blind, not stumbling. You have moral guidance. You know the difference between right and wrong. You know the difference between truth and error. You know the difference between goodness and badness. And this is from Christ, as he himself is in the light. And we have koinonia, fellowship with one another. And in this whole process of walking in light, knowing the truth, believing in Christ, and fellowshipping with one another, something is always happening. The blood of Jesus, his son, continually in the Greek, cleanses us from all sin. We don't have to go back and make another sacrifice every week, right? We don't have to give money to the Catholic Church to try to get some benefit. We don't have to go do whatever the priest tells us to do, say something so many times. See, people are willing to believe in works, but they're not willing to believe in grace. This is saying that believing and trusting and walking results in continual cleansing. In other words, it isn't like from Sunday to Sunday, you start accumulating guilt. A little more, a little more, a little more. Well, that was bad. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have yelled at this person. I shouldn't have done that. Sunday comes. All right, now where do I get rid of it? What do I do? What sacrifice do I make? There's only one sacrifice. It's been made once for all. 
God's pure, holy nature is ours in a derived sense, not an absolute one. And the light is derived from God. And by walking according to his grace and believing his promises, we are continually cleansed. So what does that mean? That means the religious leaders don't have anything to sell you. We donate money and support causes and and so on, yes, because we freely choose to do that. But there's nothing to be sold in regard to forgiveness of sins. It's a free gift. And it's always a free gift. And since we're all cleansed, we pray for one another and patiently help each other along in God's grace. Why? Because nobody else is going to do it. We already found out from the Bible the world hates us. We've got to help take care of each other. And that brings us to James 5.20. Let him who know that he who turns the sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now we know love does this. Christians help each other. If one of us is straying from the truth, others will try to get us back from that, back to the truth, back out of the darkness. We've all known people who walked away. I'm not talking about just a local church, but from Christ. I even had an apostate preacher that I contacted, or no, one of our people contacted him, some years ago, and he wrote me a letter. But he said, oh, yeah, I'm sure this fellow's well-meaning. It's a waste of time. Since I've renounced Christ, I am so happy. He said, i become wealthy. I have a powerful business. My family's happy. Best thing I ever did was renounce Christ, so don't even bother praying for me. So this guy told me, oh, That's what an apostate looks like. But a lot of times there are people who aren't apostate who might wander and they need a loving Christian to say, we want you, come back. We care about you. You need the Lord. It says in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Same thing as we have here in James 5, 20. So we have to care. It has to be important. I've had people criticize me for writing articles. My dear friends, I don't write all these articles, 130-some now, because I hate anybody. I don't get a salary for doing it. I don't know what tangible benefits to me there are, but I'm trying to help people not go astray. And I'm trying to help Christians not believe things that are false. We were talking about it in Sunday school. Eric was. There was a guy last year claimed that God told him the stock market's going to crash in uh, October or November 2015. I wrote an article that said he doesn't know that. Whatever, you know, don't make your 
investment decisions. I don't know if it's going to go up or down, but this guy doesn't know either. So I'd say it's more loving to warn people about that. Because some people, in the past, I have actually met Christians who lost all of their money because they thought a prophet had told them a fail-proof investment scheme. They lost it all, their whole retirement. I'm just trying to save you from that, trying to save you from falsehood. Maybe sometime one of these false teachers will repent. I haven't heard of it lately. John 9, 39. Oh, here we go. You got to turn to this one. Maybe you already know this story, but it's amazing. It's, it's just fabulous. It's the interaction between a healed blind man and the Jewish leaders who were still in darkness. And he ends up getting in a theological dispute with the theologians. Now, this guy's not trained. He's been blind his whole life. And he can see. I'm just going to read some of it. I think I'll start with 924. I assume you're a little bit aware of this pericope. So a second time, they called the man who had been blind. Now, he'd already been healed, already had a confrontation with the leadership. And said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. See, he was confessing that Christ had healed him. And they were saying he's a sinner, Jesus. And he answered, verse 25, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though was I was blind, now I see. Brilliant. Verse 26, so they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become like his disciples, do you? No, he's poking at these Pharisees. <laughs> this guy is uh, one of my favorite in the Bible. <laughs> oh, do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? They're sitting there grinding their teeth. They're, they are mad. And they reviled him, verse 28, said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Okay. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. Now they're saying this to the blind man who was just healed. So the man answered, said to them, well, here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he's from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing, does, he, does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now, these are all things these guys would have to agree with if they were honest. And they're coming from a blind man. He didn't sit in the schools of the rabbis in his youth. He didn't read Torah. They answered, 
You were born entirely in sins. They assume that because he was blind, born blind. And you are teaching us, so they put him out. We don't want any of these healed blind people hanging around us. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they'd put him out. Finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Son of Man is reference in Daniel to the Messiah. Verse 36, he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. The man wasn't converted until after he'd been healed physically. This is his conversion. So this unconverted guy was refuting the Pharisees. Then he comes to faith. Now, not only can he see physically, but he can see spiritually. And he sees who Jesus is. Dear ones, at conversion, we see the significance of who Jesus is and the forgiveness of sins. He said, Lord, I believe you worshiped him. Here's what Jesus said. I quoted this earlier. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see, may see. Those who see may become blind. That is the conclusion of this whole pericope. That's what had happened. The blind man was healed. The ones who claimed to see, the religious leaders, rejected him, and they became more and more blind. And this man became more and more healed because not only could he see physically, now he's converted and he has the light of God on the inside. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John twelve forty six, Jesus said, I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. The blind man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. He did not remain in darkness. That's the gospel. Dear ones, every one of us was born blind spiritually. We mostly were people who saw when we were born, their physical eyes, but we were born blind spiritually. Jesus came to bring light to the people who sat in darkness. We saw that in Isaiah as well. One who sit in darkness will see a great light. Today, you may be hearing me, and you're still in darkness. You've heard about Jesus. You know that Christians think a lot about him. You know that he was a historical character. You might even know he was Jewish. And you may even heard that he was crucified by the Romans. But did you know that all that happened so the sinless son of God would die a substitutionary death? His perfect life, 
for our sin. His blood shed, meaning he has laid down life to cleanse us from all sin. Bringing his light into this world so that though we sat in darkness, we could come into the light. I'm going to show you that, I believe, in another passage where Jesus was talking to Paul. And he was raised from the dead on the third day, bodily. He appeared to many witnesses and bodily ascended into heaven from whence he'll come again. And so that is our gospel. We need to believe in Christ who was raised from the dead, vindicated every one of his claims. Now the question for everyone that hears this, even if you're out there on watching on TV, are you going to spend the rest of your life in darkness or are you going to come to the light and believe in Christ? And for Christians, just thank God that you can fellowship with other people who have light in their lives. It's very important. Let's look at this verse here. It's our last slide. And this was uh, what Jesus said to Paul. And he testified about this in front of the Roman governor. This is what Jesus came to do. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, to receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. That's an awful lot of Christian doctrine that Paul recounted to that Roman leader. What's this all about? What's all this trouble in my kingdom? These Jews are in a big uproar and causing all kinds of trouble. Remember that? In Acts. And this is what Paul said. Well, here's what it's all about. Let's look at this. We already saw open our eyes. Turn. What's that word turn? Turn. In the Greek is epistrepho. And it's a synonym for conversion. Conversion is being turned 180 degrees. Everything changes. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, 16, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So there was a veil that kept us in darkness. Our minds didn't work right. Our moral guidance was broken. We affirmed what's evil and rejected what's good. And we didn't give honor to God. But when God opens our eyes, we turn to him and we come into the light. All were under the dominion of Satan. Even if you don't believe there's a Satan, you may think Satan is just a big myth for the cartoonist, the little horns and pitchfork and all that stuff. No, Satan, the adversary, 
is a real spiritual entity who hates God and dominates those that don't know God. And people are under his dominion. But they are taken out of that at conversion by Jesus Christ. Simultaneously, all of this happens, forgiveness of sins. We were in bondage because we'd sinned against God. He's the perfectly righteous, just judge of the universe who has to judge sin. But he sent his son to pay the penalty for us. So we receive forgiveness. We have an eternal inheritance as Christians. No matter what happens in this life, we're going to be with him forever and ever. And we are sanctified, made holy, and set apart because of Christ. I love Acts twenty six eighteen. It seems like I keep quoting it. But I decided a long ago, you cannot actually wear out a Bible verse. <laughs> Maybe people feel like they heard it enough. But I love Acts twenty six eighteen. Because it says so much. And I don't imagine the emperor, I mean, the, the governor hearing this. Well, these Christians, things they say, still true. What about you? Today, have you come from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, through forgiveness of sins and eternal inheritance? I pray that you have. If not, today, Believe in Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your kindness and goodness that you care about us and you take care of us. May we take seriously our need for one another, help us walk in the light, and always care for your dear people. Thank you, Lord, that you care for us and can help us care for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.